Hi there, I'm Rory O'Connor, Professor of Health Psychology and a Mental Health Researcher at the University of Glasgow. And I'm Craig, a filmmaker and content creator at MQ Mental Health Research. And welcome to MQ Open Mind, a podcast that brings together lived experience with scientific research to help us to better understand mental health problems and we hope to do so in a way that is accessible to all. This week we have MQ ambassador and cricket star Azim Rafiq. Azim played cricket professionally in England for Yorkshire County Cricket Club. In 2020, Azim shared his experiences of racism and bullying at Yorkshire, which became a major media story in the United Kingdom. In this episode, we spoke about racism in sport, having a winner's mindset, and using religion to improve your mental health. So hello, um, Asim. I'm absolutely delighted that you can join us for our podcast. Craig and I are delighted. Um, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not the biggest cricket fan. Um, however, interesting. So I, I still struggle with this myself. Is it so? I I I used to watch cricket when it was on terrestrial TV, but then I, I even though I'm not a big cricket fan, I used to listen to it to help me sleep on the World Service. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think because I did I mean it's my my um because I do and I do follow England and I mean I, I'm Yorkshire, but my twin brother is um lives in Leeds, so I, I sort of have a keen interest, but not I'm not an expert, is really what I'm trying to say. But obviously you even had an incredible career. So maybe could you maybe start by telling us a bit about your career journey? Because I know it started really, really young in life. Yeah, look, obviously, um, a massive cricket lover, um, born in Karachi. Um, it's it's life there. You play on the streets, uh, table cricket. As um, I, well as young as I remember, basically coming home from school and just uh, being uh, downstairs playing cricket. Mum would be running around looking for me uh, for to get my homework done, to read the Quran, um, and she won't be able to find me. Uh, I turn up every day without a miss because I had this uh, massive love for diving on concrete. I turn up my, every day uh, with blood all over my chest. Um, hold on, hold on. What was that? What was concrete? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, we, we played on streets um, and I just I enjoyed fielding a lot. So I'd just start diving around and yeah, turn up every evening, uh, blood down my chest, uh, full of muck, um, which was interesting. Yeah, well, then we, we moved to the UK in 2001 um, and uh, soon moved here, uh, joined the local cricket club. Um, didn't really understand what professional cricket was, to be honest, just loved playing cricket. Um, and then, uh, yeah, went from one trial to another to another. Didn't really know what I was doing, just going and playing cricket, uh, an extra hour of cricket. And before you know it, I was, um, yeah, it all went quite quickly and I was part of the Yorkshire age group stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was uh, yeah, it was it was nice. It was um, the cricket was a way of um, well, cricket was identity to be honest, uh, and a way of fitting in um, to uh, life here in the UK. I'm all, so th- am I right in thinking you were the youngest ever? No, so I was, I was the youngest ever Yorkshire captain and the yeah. first one uh, from um, Asian uh, background, South Asian background. So uh, that was a massive massive honour um, for me um, leading a team. Uh, full of um, well, international at the time, quite a few international stars, and um, what turned out to be um, quite a few uh, future international stars. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was incredible, really, to be honest. Um, and some some 
thing I look back on with a lot of pride. Um, and it's nice to just remember that I did play some cricket as well. That's amazing. <laughs> that must be a, such a big responsibility for someone so young. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I didn't, I just, I captained from the age of 15s um, um, and it was part of my uh, DNA as a cricketer. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really, didn't really see it as um, a massive fit uh, in terms of responsibility or stuff. I, I backed myself within, um, in terms of my cricketing knowledge uh, and being able to lead. Um, so, but I'm a massive believer as a leader. If you create a good environment and um, make sure you um, make everyone feel like they're, uh, they're part of the team and part of the decision-making that uh, things go quite um, smoothly. And uh, that worked quite well for me when I took that role on. No, no, I think it's incredible. Um, and then, so how many years in did you, in total were you playing cricket then? Yeah, so I, I signed my uh, first professional contract at Yorkshire around 2008. Um, I had a spell there from 2008 to 2014. I had a year a year and a half out of the game and then went back there in 2016 um, before finishing in 2018. And then, so in that time, then, so what role do you think that cricket played in, in terms of your mental health? Was it... Was it a helpful thing for your mental health? Um, quite a detriment, to be honest. Um, as I look back, obviously, the stuff I've spoken about quite openly, uh, the discrimination. Um, I mean, I remember uh, as early as 2013, I um, I was starting to struggle. I was on uh, medication um, for my mental health. You didn't really know what it was. Um, couldn't really put a finger on why I was struggling. I remember 2012, I had a breakthrough season, done really well uh, in all formats, uh, got picked for the England Lions, um, mm. and um, I had a great game down in Essex. Um, but that evening, uh, I went home crying. Um, and I, like, I look back at it, and obviously, like I said, the stuff that I've spoken about quite openly yeah. about the discrimination, the racist abuse, uh, that was clearly starting to take its toll uh, on me. And um, But I wasn't aware what, what was happening. So, I mean, the... Um, it gave uh, it was a game I love immensely, uh, but um, and it's given me a lot of good times. Uh, but um, unfortunately, looking back, um, it's been the the stuff outside of the plane of the cricket um, and the yeah. uh, the race abuse discrimination has been has taken a massive toll on my mental health and something um, I struggle with um, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's absolutely awful, absolutely awful. Because I imagine that back when you were a child in, in Karachi, in the streets of Karachi, it was giving you, it was so good for your mental health in playing the game and a team player and, and all that. And it's the fact that obviously what you've gone through is just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, look, sport, when it's when it's at its best form, in its best form, is uh, incredibly positive for your mental health, for your social well-being. Um, but sport, um, the dark side of sport and sport, it's um, sort of not not a, it's uh, the right way um, can have a very very um, big um, detriment to your mental health. And mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I mean I felt both sides of it. Um, like I said initially, first coming to the UK, it was um, it was a good way of actually um, starting to adjust to life and getting that respect um, and. Um, feeling like you belong in the society um, but like I said as it as things went on and I went into the professional environment um, it, uh, clearly a lot of things that uh, 
professional sport as a whole, I think um, there's a lot of things that um, around it um, when not at its best can have a very, very negative effect yeah. on people's health. Absolutely. And so thinking now, though, um, so how do you manage your mental health now? What do you think helps you deal with sort of pressurized, pressurized times or when you're feeling overwhelmed or, or whatever or, or just not having a good time? Um I struggle. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've got the answers. I, I really haven't. Um, I, I find, um, I find, uh, obviously going out and getting help can be, again, it can be quite costly as well. Um, so you, you, I just feel I struggle, right. To be honest. Um, I, I have ways where some, sometimes I can manage to get two, three days where I can completely try and switch off. It helps. Um, physically active uh get into the gym and stuff that really helps but what i found really difficult since i've spoken out is i've had this fear of going being in public places i've had this fear of going to the gym uh and uh, before you know it you end up in this spiral um and like i don't feel like i'm physically uh in a place where i'm happy so it's just a spiral that i for the last couple of years, have found it incredibly, incredibly challenging to get out of. I'll go week to week where I try, um, but then something else happens uh, and it sets me back. So I struggle, but um, I've got a close family um, support around me. I've got a few people that I trust with my life um, and they've been incredible. Um, they've been, uh, to be honest, they've been absolutely incredible for me last couple of years. And, yeah, it's uh, it's something I find incredibly challenging um, on a daily basis. Well, I mean, that is it's, that's an, it's just so, so awful to hear the on, ongoing struggle that obviously you and so many people, obviously we all obviously manage in some aspects of our mental health, and and there's no sadly no easy easy fixes, easy solutions. But but you're saying that obviously you do reach out for support, and you are getting help and support, and that and that's helps you get through the day. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, I've got Citalopram uh, is something that helps me. Um, but then again, it's like a spiral. Again, it helps me, but then I, I just feel sometimes feel like, why am I so reliant on medication? Um, um, but it, it, it has been uh, helpful. Um, obviously, like I said, I, I try now as much as possible to uh, not keep stuff bottled in. Mm-hmm. Um, I try as much as possible to share it with um, with people close to me who I trust. Um, but it's even with that, sometimes you know that I just feel like as a thirty one year old, I'm having to navigate uh, a lot um, that is way out of um, way more than I should be, uh, and I, and I do feel that pressure. Um, but it's like I said, I try myself and one advice what I would have to is try and have a create a support network mm-hmm. around you that you can tap into um, when 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 you need it. No, I think it's so it's, I mean, such a really useful and important advice is, I mean, we're all um, being an individual helps nobody. It's we're all, how we navigate the challenges in life is those around us supporting us and us obviously works both ways. Supporting, supporting each other, and you've mentioned already your your family, and um, and I know obviously you've experienced um, grief and, and lost yourself separately from the issues, obviously the awful issues of racism and discrimination you've you've touched on, and obviously you've talked a lot about in the past. Do you maybe do me tell us a bit about that if that's okay? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, 
something I think my two fears in life um, have always been sort of um, well since it's happened I put um, losing your own uh, child in that but uh, one be losing your parents and then second losing your own child and so I've gone through one of them um, um, in the probably as brutal a manner as you post uh, can um, 38 and a half weeks uh, you sort of uh, putting the nursery together, you're getting ready, doing all the all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, difficult, incredibly. And then obviously to have around that, having a, a workplace that was challenging in itself. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, incredibly challenging and something that I still um, probably struggle with. Um, I, I don't think it ever gets, um, I don't think you ever sort of get over it. Mm-hmm. I think you just find ways of... Um, you just find ways of um, dealing with it a little bit, little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got two lovely kids now. I've got a boy and a girl. But um, you always like, obviously, it's like we've had three kids, um, mm. and that, yeah, it's it's challenging. Um, mm. Something that will probably, I think, not especially. Sorry. Especially, obviously, uh, see my boy and girl now. I've like they should have had an elder sibling as well but look it wasn't to be and we we massively believe in our religion that um whatever the decide is for the best and um the one thing that kept me going at the time um and probably the big switch in me as a person as well was um when you have a loss of a child in our religion that um that scene as that the child's going to be waiting for you and the day of judgment and, and he's going to hold your hand and uh fight with a lot to take you to heaven um so that 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 was something that sort of helped us get through that process but now it was challenging and it still is um to watch my wife struggle the way she did um yeah incredibly tough but something that um i actually look back at um in a way i look back at it and obviously most brutal manner but it's it's changed me as a person. It's made me a, it's made me a lot better person, and I'm, that's something I'm proud of, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. Hope and will have helped other people. Just, I mean, it's such an awful thing they've gone through. So we really appreciate that. And um, as you say, it's things don't. It, you know, it'll always be something with you uh, as a person, and um, because it's obviously changed you. Um, but I think you mentioned obviously that we've already touched on the importance of family, but also the importance of religion. And um, so just but more broadly, then obviously assume religion helps in terms of your mental health more generally, or does that yeah, I mean look, I I don't claim to be a perfect uh, Muslim. Um I've done things in the past that I regret massively. Um but uh, especially since the loss of my son, um, but but for the last few years as well, I tried to get closer and closer to my religion, um, and it's been it helps. I mean, my uh, from when I spoke out to being able to sort of, and every I get asked the question, "How do you do it? How do you do it?" And mm-hmm. honestly, the one thing I kept repeating to myself was, "Allah's with me. Um, no one can do anything to me." Um, while I've got. And I genuinely threw out, and I still do, there's so much gets thrown at me on a daily basis that um, I feel like Allah's just there over me. 
uh, with my son, I just feel like they're there protecting me um, because it is, it's challenging. It's challenging in a lot of ways, but that, that sort of belief that there's someone there just protecting you uh, mm. and faith and religion point of view, it just, it eases uh, a lot of what can happen and what might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has, and I'll, there were so many instances through the two years of the sort of um, fight with Yorkshire that at every opportunity when they try to um, try to cover it up or try to make me out to be, whatever they did, it always actually, not only did it backfire, it, made, it created evidence uh, for me to be able to show that actually this is what's been happening. And that's, that's not because of me or anyone else. That's just from Allah. Yeah, absolutely. And no, because I saw you many times on the on the, the TV and elsewhere, obviously during over the last couple of years, and I just think incredibly powerful testimony. And and interesting, I wondered what what was keeping you so strong and how you were so strong throughout it. And um, well, I think what you've done has been incredible and remarkable. And but it's but it's only one aspect, as we know from mental health research. The impact on rate of racism and discrimination on people's mental health is it's 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 I mean it's everywhere we look sadly and and it's something we need to do much much more on is really trying to look at what, what not only of course we have to tackle it we have to should be zero tolerance um but then do, do more to support people who are experiencing racism and discrimination I think we have a long road ahead still so. So I think just huge thanks for the ongoing. I know you're continuing to do this and with the work that you do also for, for MQ. So maybe then actually, I see maybe if we can chat a bit about, because that links to the sort of um, the the impact of racism, discrimination on your own mental health, but how you're not using that as a, you're an ambassador, obviously, for MQ, and we're delighted that you are. So do you maybe tell us about how you got involved in, yeah, I'm an ambassador, and and, and so what you what you've been doing with that role? Yeah, I mean this is one of the nice parts of uh, uh, the two years. Um, MQ was the only and uh, the only organisation um, that actually just got in touch with me and just uh, Bryony um, and just are you all right? Um, can we help in any way? And that it came at a time where I was um, seriously struggling. To be honest, um, I was finding the whole thing really challenging. I felt. I felt incredibly let down uh, from um, community organisations um, that uh, that talk about um, equality, diversity, inclusion, um, and you see a lot on social media and some high-profile ones. And I felt incredibly let down because not one organisation got in touch with me to see if I was all right. Um, yet I saw at different stages there was a lot of organisations that were willing to jump on to Yorkshire and help them out. Um, and that hurt. It, and it, this is one of the things that hurts me the most uh, on a given day, uh, most days. Um, and when I got that, when Bryony got in touch um, and I had the Zoom with her and Lee, and it it was honestly, from a, mm. on a human level, it was like, oh, my God, someone does care that I exist. Mm. And... That that was massive for me. I can't. I can't. Um, I don't think I've even told them as much as, like I am today. It, it made a huge, huge difference to me. Um, and I've got obviously moving forward. I mental health is something that I've suffered with, and I know the impacts of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, to my mental health and discrimination, racism, and going through the process that I have. And I, I want to try. The whole point of me speaking out was to make sure that experience, first and foremost, the experience that I went through doesn't no one else goes through. But if there's people out there, and well, there's no if about it, there's people out there struggling, yeah. is try and help them and support them. And uh, from a mental health point of view, to get uh, involved with um, MQ. And then when I got asked to be an ambassador, it was honestly, it felt it meant the world to me. Um, and hopefully moving forward, we can uh, work together in going deeper into um, why it affects uh sort of non-white people more um, looking at different cultures yeah. um, from a South Asian point of view is still a taboo subject and it's get, trying to get um, more awareness, uh, trying to get uh, the community to more engage into it more uh, and actually getting into that research and trying to find um, ways that we can um, sort of support people uh, more um, so that they can try, uh, well, so I think it's the thing that everyone struggles with, but it's just helping them support in a way that so uh, they can manage it in a better way. Yeah. No, but just reflecting on on what you've just said there, Asim, and I think that, uh, and that's uh, I'm so pleased that um, that Brian and Lee and MQ reached reached out to you, and that but the importance of that in your case, in that you're in the eye of the storm and you're feeling even more isolated. And we know that that sort of sense of being isolated, that sense of being trapped, that sense of seeing no options are just so detrimental to your mental health. And so it's, so it's, and it's something we all should be thinking about. It doesn't matter who we are, that we can support each other. And, and it is that reaching out. And, and I think you've also highlighted that small things that people, all of us can do can make one heck of a difference. And to somebody in that right moment, that moment when you needed somebody because obviously they, they didn't have to reach out to you and that they did and that just meant so much. I think that's just so incredible. Well, one, one, they didn't have to reach out. Second, they didn't even know me. Um, and honestly, the timing of it was, it was, as and again, I'm a massive believer that that was uh, from Allah um, hmm. and the timing of it. And it, it, it really made a difference. And it is it's the little things that make a big difference. And I, like we're fasting right now, Ramadan and, uh, this year, I was, I was in an event last night as well, an iftar event. Uh, but this year, I've, more people have wished Ramadan um, uh, Kareem. I was in an event at Man City and um, the people were like, this is the first time it's happened. Um, my colleagues are asking me, am I spelling this right? I want to wish people Ramadan Kareem. And it, it might be a very small thing um, for someone wishing it uh, non-Muslim, but to us, it, 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 this month has been incredible uh it's been for the first time living in this country it's felt like um it's uh, like people are actually interested in care um uh, that it's such a um such a big month for us uh, as muslims yeah. and they want to support you in uh, any way they can and celebrate it as well um so yeah it, it's been it's been really nice some people may not understand what ramadan is do you mind explaining what it is yeah, Ramadan's a, a holy month. We um, in this month we uh, fast from uh, sunset to uh, from sunrise to sunset, um, and um, we try. Uh, I mean, it's a month where we uh, try and give more charity, uh, come closer to our religion, try and pray more, be a better person, um, and it's it's actually a realization of um, 
how lucky we are to have uh, the food and drink uh, um, that we do that that we have, um, and it's it's a month of giving. It's just a it's just a month of peace and um, something that just brings us closer to our religion. Um, and it, it, we we absolutely uh, it, we put it this month uh, as like the top of our sort of calendar, and it's 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 one where we come together as a family. Um, and it's it's an incredible time for us. Do you find that a lack of understanding is reason why racism is so prevalent? Is the lack of understanding between different cultures, different people, is the reason why there are so many perceived differences? Yeah, I mean, look, education and lack of understanding is huge. I mean, I can talk about uh, two days after uh, DCMS, some of my old. Uh, anti-Semitic messages that I'd put on Facebook came to, uh, came out and they, they hurt me. Uh, they hurt me because, um, well, one for a couple two years, I've been like, uh, if I was a Jewish, if I was from the Jewish community, I, I, they wouldn't have been allowed to do this to me because the Jewish community stay strong together. Why am I not getting the support from my community? And, but actually to see that I clearly said them things, it hurt me. But where did they come from? I didn't even know that was a, there was actually a why it was offensive. I uh, until I went to met the Jew, I met Jewish people. I went to the Jewish museum, and I continue to do that to try and understand myself why it is that I might have said that. Um, so I think it's because we're not spending enough time in each other's spaces. Uh, we are not um, educating ourselves enough um, about each other's culture and the. We we the positives and the nice bits about each other's uh, cultures and spending time with and celebrating everyone's um, sort of um, faith religion and um, you know it's something that means a lot to them celebrating that with each other with that comes understanding and when, with understanding you'd hope uh, that sort of um, the co uh, comments or um, situations that have been happening uh, would happen less you would think so uh, but obviously it's hard to uh, sit there and say that for definite but I genuinely do believe it comes from a lack of understanding mm -hmm. yeah. no because I'm just thinking what when you're speaking there I see about I'm from Northern Ireland and I know it's different but but that you mentioned this idea of common spaces and contributing to or not having common spaces contributing them to the lack of understanding but that's Part of what's happened in Northern Ireland, and um, as I grew up in in in, in one in this place called Derry, well, Derry Girls, as you may have heard on Channel Four, to minutes, but but in Derry, but the point is, it's one part of the river. People live one part of the river side of the river. The river Foyle runs up the middle of Derry, tend to be Catholic, and the people the other side of the river tend to be Protestant. And I grew up uh, and I went to a Catholic school, and he didn't mix with Protestants. We just and that and that. So then, so whatever knowledge we had was about the other religion was gained not by seeing them regularly, but by what you heard on the news or saw in the papers. And then obviously there was a conflict going on. But I just just to reiterate, I know it's different from what you've experienced, obviously completely. But there's that sense of if we're going to solve any of these issues in society, it's coming together. So we do have an understanding, realize. That sense of common humanity, we're all the same. We're all the same. Doesn't matter what your religion, creed, color, whatever it is, we're all the same ultimately. So well, I think that's a really powerful point that you make. It seems so no thanks. Thanks again for that. Um, 
So I'm just thinking the other thing we were, we were chatting about in advance of what we were hoping to cover with you was trying to think then, going back to the sort of um, mindset of professional sports people. So I'm just wondering, is there something about the relationship between the mindset of somebody who has to be, who is going to be excel in their, in their sport professionally and mental health? So is there something, if you have any reflections on that and you think about what you've been doing in your career and your own mental health? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. And I, I it's something that is open for debate. I, there's a lot of times you get, uh, especially in a male-dominated um, sport, you you get this, or uh, pump your chest out, or uh, and it, it sort of um, it, that that's supposed to be sort of showing of confidence, showing of mental, uh, like strong, um, strong mentally. And I disagree with all that. I think uh, because I think that that that's all bravado, that's masculinity, um, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's got masculinity problem. It's, I don't think that's true. I for me, uh, true. Um, strong mental toughness and uh, performing under pressure is actually being in a good balance space um, physically and mentally uh, to be able to make a, the correct decision at that one final moment. Uh, and for that, I don't think some of the methods that have been used in the past, like grinding someone, uh, yeah. physically exhausting them, and the, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think there's a there's a balance to be had, um, and I actually. The one thing I worry for professional sports people, um, I know football, they get people in, the kids in as young as eight and nine now. Um, and the ones that, and it's a very small percentage that get through, great. But the rest suffer as human beings. Um, and I think for me, um, professional sport bubble needs to realise that everyone that comes in, if kids that are coming into their environment, they're kids. They need to, they, they, whether they end up playing for England or playing for Yorkshire or playing uh, local cricket. They need. We want to when they go out of that environment. They want to. We want them to be better humans and in good mental health space to be able to um, contribute to society in a different manner. But professional sport has this mindset or has had this mindset for a very long time of you try and break them, and then if they don't break, they're going to be great uh, if they break then just get rid of them um, and uh, it's not something I, I like uh, from a professional sport in environment point of view yeah. I guess it's oh sorry I guess it's that whole um, phrase of pressure builds diamonds that type of thing but why do you feel that some of the, the children that don't make it why they suffer as um, as like humans afterwards because personally for professional sporting environments uh, you've got adults in charge of kids who don't know how to be around kids that's a start um you've got there is um there is so much pressure on performance um that everything that what a human uh, goes through on a daily basis just gets thrown out of the window um and i think a real lack of um lack of solid uh, knowledge and background in mental health support within the environment um, leads to um, people just thinking about performance, 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 um, and that can be quite draining. Look, don't get me, look professional sport's not easy. Right? It's difficult. It has its challenges. But um, I, think, I think there's better ways and better practices that can be um, deployed where 
I think me personally, I massively believe it would create success as a team. I think it would create success as individuals. And I think it creates success for um, the people that don't um, get to the top. Um, and if it, if it realizes, I think professional sport needs to realize its role within the community uh, and do more within society uh, as opposed to whenever there's a difficult issue, say, oh, well, it's a societal issue. Uh, we can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Well, just just on that, just struck me as I was watched um, the King Richard film on the plane there recently with the whatever the Williams sisters. But actually, it's one you said about the kids being kids, and and but actually, one of the things that didn't, didn't, whatever um, Venus and Serena's father do was kept them out of competition. I'm not, I mean, I'm no expert on how to grow a great tennis player, but one of his things I remember in the film was. He didn't want them competing too young because he just wanted them to enjoy the tennis and grow and develop as people as well as these machines. So I think, I think there's something about that in terms of um, how you be best develop peop the, the people who will then have a, a life after the sport. And I think that's always really challenging. Um, but actually, in, in cricket, what is it more broadly? Are there schemes in place for um, helping cricketers transition beyond when their cricketing career is comes to an end. Um, look, I mean the, the PCA um, they they do uh, try and provide support for uh, trying to get you ready for um, after career, but I just don't think it's uh, sufficient enough. But I, I think the counties or the employers need to take the responsibility and make it a, as opposed to a oh yeah we do that as well. It needs to be a real priority. Um, like, and you know, this thing of uh, creating uh, high-performing um, world-class athletes, for example, right? I don't care what anyone says. And I've been sat in uh, sports psychology stuff. I've sat in different things. Or, or this is what how you create um, um, a world-class uh, world-class athlete. I think that's just absolutely. Um, I can't use the phrase, but I think it's uh, anyone that sits there and tries to say that they can just create uh, world-class athletes um, and they know how to do it is 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 actually lying because there's a lot of uh, factors involved uh, within that development um, and you have, uh, and every individual is different as well. So there is no set way. So this thing about this is how you create it, but I'm a massive, again, I'm a massive one of letting them, letting kids explore uh, and develop their their sort of understanding and their knowledge um, and their own way, um, but helping them, directing them uh, before they start just like just start competing. But that could be different from an in, another individual who might mm -hmm. really struggle when they're left open ended to explore, but they're really well focused mentally when they get into competition. So it's having that. I don't personally from a sorry going on a bit of a um <laughs> no keep going my sort of uh, coaching side of um stuff is I'm, I'm a massive believer in every individual you've got to be able to adapt treat uh in a way from a sporting point of view in a way that um works for that individual uh and that there is no one uh one way fits everyone yeah but so on that coaching thing because am i did i read somewhere you, you you're you've done your professional coaching qualifications and so on is that is that right yeah i mean i i, I actually finished my level four um 
two-year course, but I didn't do my assessment, so it's not officially finished because uh, it was around the same time as DCMS. Um, my my whole reasoning for going into coaching was to uh, use what I, my experiences. Um, and I'm a massive believer. If you if you're a professional sportsman, it should be the best time of your life. Yeah, and that's my philosophy as a, as a leader, as a coach. Is I want to make sure that um, regardless of um, how, where you get to in terms of performance, that you have that you leave that experience uh, the best time of your life. Because there's people that would give an arm and a leg to to be able to be in your position. Yeah, um, and I massively believe if you ha- do that, if you enjoy it, if you do that, and you're in a good space mentally, that you're going to perform to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm a um, yeah. From a coaching point of view, that that's the sort of um, stuff that I believe in. But is that what you're hoping to do moving forward? <clears throat> or be um, I'm not. I'm not sure uh, at this stage. Um, it's. I mean, it was one of my my two passions within the game after I finished was broadcasting and coaching. Um, so I'm not. I'm not sure at this stage. Obviously, there's uh, there's still a lot going on, and I just want to make sure that um, I um, I have some time. For myself as well and just recover because um i'm still i'm still struggling and i just want to yeah. make sure I, well the one thing i don't this is why I'm, I'm a bit hesitant in coaching at the minute is another one of my big beliefs is is um for me to be able to give the player the best experience the best um sort of development advice i've got to be in a good space myself yeah um and if i'm not in a good space uh and one of my it, my philosophy is that I want the player to have the best time of their life. No matter how much I try, it won't be natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that reason, again, um, it's not something I'll get into until um, I can make sure that I stick to my philosophies uh, as a coach and be able to provide that for the players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, as somebody who's never been um, particularly <laughs> sporty, well, I do play tennis, but it, I mean, I still I have so much admiration for professional sports people and what I mean what they've done and then those who at the end of their careers are able to then give back and that's in the way you're describing and bringing all that well compassion as well as excellence and it's that sort of compassionate excellence I think which we which we're all trying to aspire for and I suppose like I'm a Liverpool fan football fan and so I always think Jurgen Klopp does a bit of that in my mind he's he does that individual management you touched on and well, he treats people as human beings as well as these commodities. Um, and I think that's, well, I just, I, anything he does, I think is great. So <laughs> to be honest, I think he's brilliant. I think yeah. he's, he's one of the people that I try and um, look up, look at the things he does. And I think the way he speaks about his players publicly, uh, clearly he has a bond with them uh, privately, uh, the way he manages them. Um, I think um, there's no, it just show, and that's why it, uh, that's why I say it doesn't have to be all sort of uh, dictatorship, do it as like this, or this is how you have to do it, pump your chest out stuff. Uh, love and compassion can make a big difference, especially in an environment that's got so, such a big problem with like masculinity problem and like um, everyone trying to this bravado. Uh, and just uh, when you've got a leader that can cut through that and show you, show you that actually you are all right to be vulnerable. You are all right to be um, emotional. You're all right to have these feelings. The environmental just, I know if I've been at the other side of the player, you're looking at everything that your leader does. Yeah. And if he does it where it makes you feel calm, you feel incredibly calm. But if there's a slight bit of 
uh, fakeness or agitation within your coach, it, it runs off in the whole environment. Um, just thinking out one of the things we were um, hoping to also chat about was given uh, in part, I suppose, in your role, I seem as the MQ ambassador and thinking about when you now think about um, mental health research. And so, so what are your thoughts? Like, what if you had all the money in the world to give to MQ and say, please fund this research or any other mental health charity? Well, hopefully, hopefully it would be MQ, of course. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> what would that? What would that be? What do you think we would? You would like to see us do, or the mental health community do? Yeah, I mean, look, the one thing I'd, um, I mean, I'd encourage uh, sort of on a government level and uh, the funders and stuff is we need to get mental health research to the same level as the physical health as the physical uh, health researches that happen uh, there's a lot that goes into that yet we we know that a lot where our mental health is can affect our physical health and them conditions anyway so i think we really need to level that up massively uh, Using that word, level up. <laughs> <laughs> but, saying, uh, I, have, I have a reaction to it now when I hear it. Yeah, I, I don't know why I use that. But, you know, I, I feel like from a mental health research, it really needs to, from a funding point of view, it needs to come on parallel with uh, the physical health because as someone that suffers with it, I've uh, been around people and seen other people suffer with it. it the at times, um, like the men, the mental health, the health scars, the mental health scars that I've got are um, there's something that um, I feel like I wish I had an answer to. I wish I had an answer to. Um, and then on that, what would be the one thing? I, I think um, how um, I think if I'm not wrong, the studies up to now are predominantly on uh, white people, mm-hmm. um, and I think. Uh, I'd like uh, the mental health research and hopefully with my work with MQ that that to be we need to go into um, different communities and how because it affects people differently um, and people of colour um, and try and do a wider sort of research around that and how uh, in within different communities how it can be different the mental health and that would be something that uh, if we can try and put more resources to uh, hopefully with good generous donors um, then um, yeah we can uh, try and get to some sort of like it's not a thing that we can fix overnight we know that uh, but if if we can sort of dig away at it from a different angles um, and I massively massively think the mental health angle of uh, dealing with racism uh, will make a big difference uh, within our society. Yeah, no, I think there's two or three things that are so, so important and powerful. And I think the one, the first point you made there about uh, the parity of esteem between mental health and physical health research. A few years ago, MQ did this review, and I can't remember the precise figures, so don't quote me, but it was something like they compared the amount of funding that went into um, physical health. So, for example, heart disease, and compared it per person affected. So, for every person who's heart disease, how much was in? Um, to that research compared to the amount of funding that goes into mental health research. Now, I can't remember, as I say, off the top of my head, but it's something like for every person affected for, with heart disease, about £2 per person was invested or raised. I can't remember the precise the details. But the comparable figures, so it doesn't actually matter when you hear the comparable figure, the comparable figure for mental health research was a third of a penny, a third of a penny. That's a few years ago, but not that long ago. But that just illustrates 
we have made some progress, but what might go be still some a long way to go. A long way to go. I mean that I'm, I'm I shouldn't be surprised, uh, but um, the difference there has, has shocked me uh, because I mean more because um, it just it feels like uh, you hear from a lot of organisations and a lot of st- people talk about mental health and to see still that sort of difference um, doesn't sit right, if I'm being honest. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully we can get that levelled up. Um, use that word again. We get that uh, sort of on, the, on parity uh, with each other because, uh, as I said, it, the, we know that um, our mental health uh, can affect our, uh, the conditions, the physical conditions we end up, end up finding ourselves in. Yeah, and I think there's another stat, and again, Hugh also published in something like for people affected by cancer, a research, the funding for cancer research is, I think it's 228 quid or something like that for everybody uh, affected. But the, again, the comparable figure for mental health is about nine quid. So, I mean, again, these are just heartbreaking statistics, utterly, utterly heartbreaking. And then the other point. I mean, it's great. Work. It's great. I mean, it's great that, um, and obviously, cancer is a horrible disease, and it's great that it gets the the investment that it does uh we just we just need people to realize that we need to get um mental health uh to them sort of levels um and hopefully um yeah we can all try and make an impact in that absolutely. yeah no so i mean absolutely i'm not saying i totally i'm not saying don't invest in these other things but please invest in mental health sorry Greg, you're about to say something there aren't you no i was gonna say i absolutely agree it has to be um equal because as much as you can be physically um, healthy, if your mind is not right, then you know <clears throat> can't do anything. You, you literally yeah. can't do anything. It's 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 scary. It's scary how if your mind is not right, it's something as pressing an enter on a keyboard becomes a challenge. Yeah, yeah and it's one health. We only have one. Me- I mean, there's are I mean, in many ways, it's an arbitrary distinction between mental health and physical health. It's our health is our health. It's, yeah. This holistic view is, is so so important. And I think the other thing just struck me just saying is, so the point on um, the lack of research, even in treatment research for mental health problems for people of color is minuscule compared to people who are white. And, um, and I think that, so one of the questions, for example, I do work on suicidal behavior is a lot of the treatments that have been developed, we don't know whether they're effective with people of, of color because those, those studies just haven't been conducted in the same way that they've been conducted with the white population. So I think, we're, we've, we, yeah, we are making progress, but we've such a long way to go, you think? Um, absolutely. Um, so to my mind, I mean, that, they're the sort of main sort of things we were hoping they covered. I think before I do my, my I've got, I'm going to spring two questions on you. They're just two quick fire questions, but is there anything else you would, would, would like to say, chat this about, or have we covered everything you'd like to chat about, or? No, I just, I mean, from uh, my point of view, again, a big thanks to the support that MQ has given me. Um, they're doing some amazing work. And uh, if people listen can get behind it and support it, that'll be uh, incredibly uh, helpful for um, for the work that we do moving forward. No, no, thanks. We, we, we really genuinely appreciate your support, really do. And so my last two um, <laughs> two questions are, so one, and, and, and they're ones that people use, um, but they're just trying to, because we've been talking about difficult, really difficult stuff, and I really appreciate how um, heartfelt and mean and authentic, that, I mean, there's really tough issues you've been talking about. So I'm just trying to end on a more um, sort of optimistic-y type note. Um, so one is, the first question is, 
Anybody living or dead, who would be the top of your list to have dinner with or bring to a dinner party? Well, I mean, I would have, I would have said Rafael Nadal um, because of, um, I mean, I just love the way he went about his stuff. But right now in the current situation, I think uh, it'd have to be Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, more than anything else, having been through what he's um, going through right now uh, on a human level, um, obviously he's uh, incredibly high profile and stuff, but um, just, yeah, just a show of support. And uh, some of the, I, I felt like when I spoke to a few people that had gone through the same situation, it helped me a lot. So yeah, um, Cristiano, I would say. Yeah, no, thanks. And again, I, I mean, as I said earlier, just, you talking with your own experience will have, will have helped so many others who listen to this. So no, I really appreciate that. Um, and then my last question then is um, reflecting as we all do, as we're a bit older now, you're, well, you're 31, so I'm a couple of years older than you. <laughs> reflecting on your 31 years thus far, what would you tell your 16-year-old self um, in terms of advice for your 16-year-old self? I guess uh, be when uh, I, I was going through the challenges. So I'd just say like try and um, be yourself um, and um, stand up for yourself um, and uh, just believe in you. You can be you um, if people don't like it. If um, I guess my obsession for um, just wanting to be the best in the world and play international cricket. Um, made me do things that um, were against my morals and values um, and uh, just, yeah, what sort of leave the outcomes a little bit and uh, be true to myself uh, and um, be strong in that environment that I'm in and stand up uh, for what I believe in earlier. Not really powerful, really powerful message, actually. Um, be yourself and stand up for what you believe in. I think that's a great way to end. So I see my, on behalf of Craig and I and MQ, thanks so much. Thanks so much for your time and your insights and, and what you've done in particular over the last two years, but not just the last two years, of course, your cricketing career more broadly and your life as, an, as, a, as we we're talking earlier about we're all individuals beyond these labels that people give us. So thank you so, so much. And um, I find that really, really inspiring. So thanks a million. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, and thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll be back soon. MQ Open Mind is presented by MQ Mental Health Research, the only organisation that exclusively invests into scientific research around mental health. Our vision is to create a world where mental illnesses are understood, effectively treated, and one day prevented. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think about the podcast. Each review helps us reach a wider audience. Visit mqmentalhealth.org to learn more about MQ and mental health research.